Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Priests for Life, joined by Janet Morana, our executive director and the co-founder of Silent No More. Janet, welcome to this exciting event. Oh, of course, it's so exciting. And people might be saying, oh, you guys are getting ready for the March for Life already? I said, absolutely. As the March for Life is, too. <laughs> absolutely. And, of course, we will be there participating in our usual events. We'll have the uh, expo. We'll have a beautiful new exhibit at the March for Life. Yes. And, of course, what's really important is the morning of the March for Life. We have a prayer service that we have been sponsoring for many, many years. Oh, yes. At 20, DA- 20, oh, 25 years. <clears throat> DAR Constitution Hall. And it's a beautiful service. Uh, International interdenominational prayers and every year the committee meets and votes and they honor someone in the pro-life movement who has done something very you know wonderful over many years of dedication and of course the committee has met and this program is all about announcing who the honorees are going to be well yes and we wanted to do this in a special way brothers and sisters and invite you all into it you know janet in the past many times we've announced the honorees simply via an email or the announcement on our webpage, which by the way is national prayer service We ask you to uh, bookmark that and stay tuned to that webpage for the details as they unfold as we get closer. But you know, the big thing about this year's uh, prayer service and March for Life, of course, is that it's the 50th year, the 50th anniversary of that terrible Roe v. Wade decision, which of course now we can rejoice has been overturned. But nevertheless, we continue to commemorate the anniversaries. That's very important. Well, you know, people are asking me that, you know, Janet, why are we still going to Washington to march being we overturned Roe? And I say, well, there's several reasons. Number one, as a movement, we haven't been able to celebrate together, really. You know, we were in front of some people were in front of the Supreme Court on June 24th. But as a movement, now we're marching with a victory. We finally overturned Roe. And of course, we know the job's not done, but we could, we should come together as a movement and celebrate. That's right. Absolutely right. celebrate. And of course, we will mention that two days later on the 22nd in front of the Supreme Court, we will come together there in a solemn prayer vigil right. to honor the victims of Roe. January you know? 22nd, like you always say, is, is always going to be a memorial, just like 9-11, just like Pearl oh, Harbor January Day. 22nd. These are days when, right. you know, the country has to pause and remember that uh, we lost 63 terrible. million children and women died. So we can't yeah. forget that day. So yeah. for us, January 22nd will be, we will never forget. But on Friday, January 20th, we are going to march and rejoice that this monumental step has happened. But first, right. we're going to gather in Constitution Hall and we're going to pray and we're going to honor a specific facet of the pro-life movement that actually even before Roe v. Wade started mm-hmm. and got going and was helping women choose life. And especially this year, we have to raise them up even more because sadly, Father, they've been targeted by the those pro-abortion-loving Democrats, especially the shameful senators, have been attacking, and now I'm going to say what it is, the pregnancy center movement, right? Yes, that's right. And so we said, the committee met and said, you know what? They're attacking them. 
we're going to raise them up even higher to say they're doing wonderful work. Well, wasn't it very telling that that was the immediate response from the pro-abortion people? Right. Even before the Dobbs case was official. Even they were the already leak, attacking When the them. leak came out. They were attacking They said, them. okay, we're, that's it. We, we've had it. Oh. We're going to go attack these centers. And they're attacking them physically. Yes. And also legally. Physically, the firebombings, the graffiti, the, oh, the, the, the defacing of and so, so many, many of these centers. clinics, father, they they had to take from their budget to hire security. Oh yeah, to install security cameras. This is criminal what they've done to these yeah. centers. Yeah, so there's the physical attacks, and then when we say the legal attacks, you know, Elizabeth Warren oh. saying, "Oh, we have to pass all kinds of laws, you know, because Stop these, these are clinics." Yeah, no, and now people have been saying this for decades. They've been trying to say, "Oh, these are fake. These are fake clinics, or they lie, or they're not medical facilities." Well, actually, you do have That's the, right. them as medical facilities so, all over the place. So here's the announcement, brothers and sisters. Okay, the honorees are. The pioneers, because there's plenty of people working in the pregnancy center movement currently right now with over 3,000 centers nationwide. But we're going to be honoring the pioneers of the pregnancy center movement. And joining us on our program now today are going to be not, not all the honorees, and we're going to mention who they are, all of them, but a few of them were able to join us for this live broadcast. So let me make it clear. First of all, here's some of the honorees. You have, first of all, birthright birthright was uh, started way back when and a representative from birth uh right will be joining us uh at, in january to receive the honor so birthright is one uh then there's the national life center uh founded by denise cochilione who cannot be here for the live broadcast but on january 20th they will be in constitution hall uh and then we have denise we should say you know there are thousands of pregnancy centers now right the fourth one opened up in her home. Oh yes, ba way back, at way the back when the fourth, <laughs> the fourth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, and and actually, Denise Cochilin was responsible for one of the early hotline numbers, and hers was one eight hundred eight four eight love. So Denise will be joining us. She couldn't be here for the live broadcast, but she will be with us on January uh, the twentieth in Constitution Hall. And then, of course, there's CareNet. And CareNet will have a representative from CareNet. And, and they were started also before Roe. Mm -hmm. uh, and they saw pregnancy center movement as something they should be doing as a mission field to help these women pregnant in need after Roe v. Wade. So a representative for CareNet will be here. And we knew so, some of the people from way back when, like people like Guy Condon, who's oh, gone yes. on to be with the Lord. So CareNet is also going to be uh, acknowledged, along with uh, Sister... Um, uh, Paula uh, Vandegeer, who unfortunately passed away last year, uh, but she will send a representative. We will set, get a representative from the International Life Services. Mm -hmm. But now we have, uh, oh no, also one more group uh, who could not be with us on this broadcast is uh, Tom Glessner with NIFLA. The, uh, the National Institute of Family and Life Advocates. So they will all be in Constitution Hall. And that's why, brothers and sisters, you want to reserve your buses to get there in time. It starts at 8.30 in the morning. You'll be finished by 10.30, plenty of time to get to the rally. And if you go to the website, nationalprayerservice.com, all the information is there and how to sign up that you're going to come and bring your bus. But now joining us today are two other honorees. And Father, why don't you introduce them? Well, the first center to open up in the nation's abortion capital, New York City, where we're both from uh, right. originally, um, 
the one who started that way back then. He was uh, working in advertising, and then he ended up counseling a 15-year-old mom to choose life. And this got him on the track of starting the city's first uh, pregnancy center. And really, when you talk about New York City and you want to say, well, what are the pregnancy center options in New York City? This massive city, this massive abortion capital, you always end up going back to one person, Chris Slattery. And he's actually with us uh, here on the program today. Chris, welcome. And it's good to see you. Thank you very much. We'll be talking, we'll be uh, hearing more from Chris and from our other honoree whom we'll announce now also uh, as this special broadcast goes on. And you know, Chris, I have to comment when you think about it, Sister Paula in L.A. and you there in Manhattan, you two really were the ones to go against the two states that were killing babies even before Roe. And you guys rose up and said, wait a minute, we have to do something about this. So uh, bravo for standing in the gap in the very early days. And thank you. What, let me uh, introduce the our, other honoree. Uh, one of, again, one of the, the architects of the pregnancy help uh, movement and uh, serving also as the president of Heartbeat International from 1993. We started at the same time. I started with Preach for Life. She started with Heartbeat. Uh, 1993, right through 2015. And she's now the chair of the board of Heartbeat, which is a massive network of pregnancy centers, not only across America, but around the world. Around the world, As the title implies, right? (laughs) International. Right. Is Peggy Hartshorn. Peggy, Peggy, welcome. welcome. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Hi, I so, so but for both of you now, this is going to be a great reunion, wouldn't it, on Friday, January 20th, for you two joining all those others I mentioned, all coming together to pray together, get your awards, and have the pro-life movement. Hopefully, we will pack the place to give a great applause to you because, you know, you have really stood in the gap all these years, providing real help to women who are pregnant and in need. So, uh how does it feel being under attack now to get honored? <laughs> well, well, thank you. Thank, thank you for the great I, honor for the movement. I was first sued by a New York attorney general back in 1987. So it's deja vu all over again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've had many attacks in between the 80s and now, but this attack now is unprecedented. It's extremely well organized, coordinated between uh, the Democrat Party, all the major abortion groups, the media. They're all in on uh, burying pregnancy centers, all kinds, uh, from birthrights to the fully medical, um, with CareNet, with Heartbeat, Independence, you name it. Peggy knows this very well. The attacks have gotten violent and uh, not only political. Uh, and uh, I, I think they're just starting up. It's it's only the beginning. Yes. Okay. Well, and, that's and that's why we have to strengthen even our pregnancy center people. And that's why I think it's so important that we're getting this honor to you. 
And uh, it, it's amazing. It really is. And we have another person who is trying to get with us, uh, hasn't quite joined us yet, but I just want to mention so everyone knows we're also honoring Chris and Joan Bell, who also founded the very early uh, network of uh, maternity homes. Because while the pregnancy centers help that woman choose life, but then some women, they need a place to stay. And it's the maternity homes that, that add that extra piece. So there we have Chris Bell. And his wife, Joan, will also be honored on January the 20th. So welcome, Chris. Thanks. It's great to be here. <laughs> great to have you. And your work, as well as our association with you, goes all the way back to the 1980s. It seems like uh, <laughs> a century ago. Right. But uh, uh, here we are still in the fight. I had more hair then. Uh, you looked as young as uh, ever, uh, Janet and Father Frank, and uh, and <laughs> certainly it's wonderful. Peggy and Chris, you know, it's it really it's it's wonderful to be a family like this, and to know each of you and and everybody we know in between, uh, and it's a blessing. And and talking to um, another mutual friend, Helen Alvarez, she says, you know, it's never really seemed like work going out talking and meeting people and helping women directly because it's what God has asked us to do and is a joy even in the suffering. And Chris is one of the happiest warriors. I, I don't know anybody who gets thrown more barbs and flaming arrows and, um, you know, strung up there. Um, but he, keep, he doesn't stop. He doesn't stop. A very happy warrior. And, and Peggy is always cheerful, no matter how many clouds are overhead or how many people uh, are, you know, saying um, we're fake. Um, and, you know, in, in our end, you know, taking women into the home, it's, it's just a blessing. Uh, we, you know, we had another baby born last week, uh, healthfully and, and gratefully. So, and, you know, every little face is another victory for life. And, you know, one thing I want to uh, comment for the people tuning in right now to realize all these folks who I just mentioned, who started in the Pregnancy Help Center movement way back when, they had successful careers already. They were successful business people. Peggy was a college professor. I mean, these people had careers. And what they did was, when, when Roe v. Wade came about, they said, no, 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 no. We got to put our careers aside. I I'm just leaving that career. And I'm going to do something about this because we're not going to tolerate that they're killing babies in America. Right. So this right. is why you as pioneers of the pregnancy health movement have to be honored because you, you could have been doing something else all these decades. Instead, you saw a calling. And that's why I tell people, people say, why do people just stay in this work for decades? Because it's not a job. It's a calling. And all of you responded to that call, call from the Lord to step in and do something. So I have to say, we're, we are so delighted the committee uh, voted to acknowledge you as pioneers in the, in the pregnancy health movement. Right, well, Bob? Janet, I'd like to invite now each of uh, uh, those that we have here to uh, share some thoughts, uh, additional thoughts to what we've already said, mm -hmm. and to encourage our audience and to encourage those that uh, will be coming to D.C. Uh, for this special prayer service. And uh, Peggy, if we could start with uh, with you, uh, share with us some uh, some further thoughts. Thank you. Thank you so much, Father and Janet. Mm. And uh, it certainly is an honor to be to have our movement, our pregnancy help movement being honored uh, 
And, and um, you, Janet mentioned I was a, a former college English teacher. So um, I, I did prepare some remarks. Father said uh, he'd give each of us about 10 minutes if we wanted it. And um, so I, I, really, I, I really want to share uh, the importance of the pregnancy help centers uh, around the country post row. Um, and and it, it's something that, of course, the immediate thought uh, of all of us in the movement uh, when the Dobbs decision was announced and people were saying, well, what now? And we said, number one, we're going to be doing the same thing that we've been doing for uh, almost 50 years. Heartbeat International in, in, 19, uh, in 20, uh, 2021 celebrated our 50th anniversary. So we've been doing this for 50 years and we're not going to stop. We're going to be doing it even more and even better. Uh, and some of the some of you may not recognize or realize the, the tremendous extent of pregnancy help and what is actually accompl being accomplished in pregnancy help. I just want to summarize uh, a few of the statistics that we know from the Charlotte Lozier Institute, who's done several studies on the pregnancy help movement, very professional in measuring our, our effectiveness. Uh, since uh, here are some of their conclusions for their from their 2019 report, uh, from the years 2016 to 2019, 800,000 mothers were empowered to save their babies in pregnancy health centers that otherwise were very vulnerable to abortion. 800,000 uh, saves now. Uh, we always say in pregnancy help, we don't save babies. The moms save their babies. The moms and the dads save their babies because they finally have the help and support that they need so that abortion is not their only alternative. So that's one of the accomplishments. Um, Charlotte Lozier measures that we see in the pregnancy help locations around the U.S. By the way, there are 3,000 locations now in the U.S., of pregnancy help centers. And that of that, 300 of them are residential care facilities. And you'll be hearing from Chris Bell on those wonderful parts uh, of the pregnancy help movement. Um, we save taxpayers about $270 million uh, a year in services that we provide to women who otherwise um, might be having babies that are low birth weight or, uh, and that costs taxpayers quite a bit of money in healthcare. Uh, the kinds of social services that are often provided by taxpayers, um, we are providing those at no cost to the client uh, in our pregnancy help centers. So $270 million in services is absolutely amazing per year. Uh, 1,290,079 packets of diapers, the maternity care, the maternity aid that we're providing uh, to families in need is amazing in our pregnancy help centers. So that's our material resources. In any one year volunteering in the pregnancy help centers, we have about 54,000 volunteers in any one, at any one time of volunteering in pregnancy centers, about 15,000 paid staff, which includes 10,000, over 10,000 actual medical personnel working in the centers around the country. So it's a phenomenally successful operation in helping people choose life and change their lives, actually, because of all the support provided for families after that baby's born, um, sometimes two years or three years after the baby's born, those families are still connected and being helped by pregnancy centers. So that's my number one point. I've got a few others that I want to make, too, about the importance of the pregnancy help centers. Uh, we are the hub of creating a culture of life in each community. 
because pregnancy centers themselves are connected to their local press, to their local businesses, their social services community, their medical community, their schools, their churches where they speak and, and, and recruit volunteers. They're training people in the community constantly for work. So we are the hub of creating a culture of life in every community where we are. And we're creating that culture of life one-on-one -on -one in the centers and in the maternity homes. Uh, we're creating a culture of life. I just want to tell a real quick story. Um, uh, we see this all the time about how helping one person creates a culture of life. And uh, this is a story that I, I, I'll never forget from a mom and one of her teenage daughters and her son who came to our Babies Go to Congress. Uh, she came with her baby uh, and that baby uh, was, uh, and the family unity was a result of the help of a pregnancy center in Kansas. And when she told her story, it was just amazing. This was an African-American family and that's an important detail as I tell you the story. Um, and the mother uh, had been a single mom. She was working very, very hard. Uh, she got pregnant and she decided not to have an abortion. She really believed she, she wanted to keep this pregnancy. She wanted, uh, she, she was pro-life. She did not want to have an abortion. The father of the child was pressuring her. Her own mother was pressuring her. Her two teenage daughters were pressuring her because they said, mom, you bring another child into this family. You're working hard enough. We want to go to school. We're almost ready for college. Uh, you cannot bring another baby into our family. That's not fair to us. All right. Now, this mom also had a nine-year-old son. She had to quit work because of difficulties in the pregnancy. And she ended up being evicted from their housing. Her own family was rejecting her. The pregnancy center took her in, uh, found housing, helped the family. And eventually her beautiful little baby boy was born. Now, when they came to Babies Go to Congress, which is an event Heartbeat has to help moms and babies share their stories uh, with their congressional representatives. And by the way, we come on uh, at the March for Life. So some of them, I hope, Father, may be actually at the National Prayer Service as you honor the Pregnancy Help Movement. But this mom and, and baby, when she told their story, it was so powerful because her teenage daughters now are absolutely pro-life. There's no way they would ever have abortions. They now absolutely love their baby brother and can't believe that they wanted their mother to have an abortion. Now, the nine-year-old son uh, that was also in the family at this time and still is in the family, he sent with his mom to come to Washington, he sent a letter that he had handwritten to President Obama. And he, uh, we got to see the letter, it was so touching. He was telling President Obama how important his baby brother was. And he was so thrilled that he had not been aborted and was now part of the family. And he begged President Obama to do everything he could to make sure that no babies would be aborted in the future. It was absolutely so touching. That's the kind of effect that choosing life for one child can have for an entire family and for generations to come. So we're doing that constantly in our pregnancy centers. Um, a few more points, and I hope I'm not taking too much of, of time, Father, but of, of, of the importance of our pregnancy center movement as we go along uh, in our pro-life activities for the next 50 years or however long uh, we are going to be involved in this. Uh, now it's important more than ever that we're there in the crisis for women uh, who think they may be pregnant or are pregnant, because with the vast majority of abortions now being the abortion pill, and perhaps in the near future, uh, abortions will be done almost 70% in the United States by the abortion pill. 
which must be taken early in the pregnancy. We don't have enough time to really help the moms make a decision as we did in the past. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so it's crucial that we're there in the crisis. And Heartbeat's Option Line is a perfect example of that help. We're 24-7 in English and Spanish. We're there with phone calls, emails, um, <clears throat> chats uh, to connect people to their local pregnancy center. So it's now more important than ever. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> um, there's a couple of quick points I want to make, and then I'll conclude. Um, Heartbeat says we need now to be in more, more people to be involved. We need to be involved in more places, and we need to have more paths to pregnancy help. And uh, we're trying to help that with a program that we call Life Launch, where we're doing matching grants and helping people out there, maybe some of your listeners, feel God may be calling them to start a pregnancy center in their community. We have pregnancy centers, like I mentioned, 3,000 in the U.S., but they're only in 50% of all of the counties in the U.S. So we do need more, and Heartbeat's ready to help. Um, help you start a pregnancy center if there's one needed in your area. I want to mention that one thing we love to say about pregnancy help is that the best alternative to abortion is another person. So we need more people involved in providing pregnancy help. And you can learn how to talk to a woman who may be considering abortion in a loving, caring way and help her make a decision. And we call it the love approach. So if you want to learn that, you can learn uh, look at the loveapproachbook.com. Uh, there's lots of resources there where you can, you can learn to talk in a loving, caring way and help a person make a life decision. And finally, I want to say that we are positioned, we're ready as a pregnancy help movement to partner with other parts of the pro-life movement, which we've always done. Um, we are standing up for our religious freedom and our freedom of speech. Uh, we've been in many uh, litigations, uh, court hearings, court decisions. We're ready to stand up for that. And we want to partner with our legal community to make sure that our religious freedom in this country is protected, not just in pregnancy centers, but elsewhere. Um, we're, we are collaborating and working with the pro-life medical community, which is really coming to the fore now also, post-Roe. Um, there's a new organization called uh, Catholic uh, Healthcare Leadership Alliance that we're working with to, to really, we can be a partner in, in, in rebuilding pro-life reproductive medical care in this world. And we're going to do that. Um, we're also going to be helping the states as they keep saying, oh, we need to fund more pregnancy help. We need to fund more help for women and children in need so they don't seek abortion. Uh, we are ready to partner, ready and willing uh, to, to work with states and uh, see what they need in, um, in, in pregnancy help services. In 15 states already, pregnancy help centers are receiving some of the state funds uh, that the state wants to invest in saving and changing lives. So uh, with, with whatever pro-life pro organizations are, are out there, those that pray in front of abortion clinics, we're partnering with you and we want to continue to do that. So I hope I haven't taken too much time, Father, but uh, I, I hope it illustrates how important pregnancy help is and how important all the parts of our movement are post-Roe. 
Well, thanks so much. Thank uh, you, Peggy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you so much. Thanks mm-hmm. for your uh, service as continued service to Heartbeat, uh, mm-hmm. even though you're not the president, you are chairman of the board and uh, continues to be a critically important role for the whole movement. I see that Joan has joined us together with Chris Bell. <laughs> Welcome, Joan. And uh, do the right. two of you have... Uh, some further uh, encouragement to share with our audience. By the way, we want to welcome, we want to point out we're on many, many platforms right now, many diverse platforms. And uh, Facebook, so, uh, Getter. Getter, it's a thousand people watching on Getter and, and many other platforms. I, I, I Father, I can't even dance. How can I be on so many platforms? <laughs> <laughs> welcome. Give us a word of encouragement. Great, great to see you, Father and Janet. And yeah. we love you. And, um, Honor all you do for the little babies and for all of us, for all your fellow pro-lifers. You know, I have to say how encouraging it is to be together again with with everybody here. And Peggy, Peggy and I first met in Rome. And Father Frank, you may remember the uh, 1995 or 96 um, gathering that the uh, the Pope called for pro-life leaders around the world. And and Chris and I, and 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 uh, well, I knew Chris, uh, I think before Joan did, but you know that goes back to the 1980s. Um, but I remember very vividly an experience. We were in front of, uh, we peacefully, prayerfully sat in front of Planned Parenthood um, on it was, at that time. I think it was Second Avenue, Third Avenue, and afterwards, the police didn't arrest everybody that day. Uh, they they pretty much closed the the mill down, uh, and. Uh, and then I walked over with Joan to 23rd Street for the first time to see what Chris was doing and his uh, his offices and how he's getting women right off the street. And of course, you know, we have the maternity home. So by the time we see a mom, she uh, very often has met with a pregnancy center <coughs> director and it, it's determined she's got no place to go. And, and And how often in front of the abortion mill, you know, a woman says, I, you know, if I don't have the abortion, I have no place to go. Nobody's going to take care of me. And then you say, well, there are there are homes, maternity homes. And at Good Counsel, we take in any pregnant mom who needs a place to stay. So, you know, we have women who have mental health issues, who have drug addiction issues, who are, are simply abandoned. And this is such a great tragedy in our nation. And this is really the crux of why abortion, so many people fight to keep it legal. It's really, it's really a benefit for men. It's horrible to say that, but men have relations and they have no responsibility because they turn to a woman and they say, you can get rid of it. You don't need to have this baby. And then when she says no, when she really wants a child, they, they, they leave her and there's no accountability. And, and even though they talk about, you know, trying to get um, uh, child uh, support, very, very little effort is put into that. And not making men responsible for the children that they conceive, help conceive, then, you know, it just, it just continues. And so many men are selfish in this. And, and unfortunately, you know, now the society has turned around where even women they want the pleasure without the responsibility. When we know that the beauty of sexual relations, the, the awesomeness in creating life that God has given us and God makes this the way, 
is, is between a husband and wife to be responsible, responsible. And it's heartbreaking because I look at so many young women in our four homes in the New York, New Jersey area. And these are girls, they weren't, they're not prostitutes. They're, they're not looking just for fun. They really were taught in government run schools that you can have sex and use contraception, which has a natural failure rate. So they know it's going to fail. And then they, they conceive a child and they want a child they're abandoned by the father and then by society that says it's okay for the guy to go scot-free. And that's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And these girls are heartbroken. So many of them just, you know, feel like, where did I go wrong? I did what they taught me in school. You know, I do it, what everybody's doing on TV and, and, you know, what everybody around me is doing and, and how can I, I be so alone and abandoned and, you know, so I certainly a good counsel on maternity homes across the country. There are hundreds of maternity homes across the country. We have a national helpline, so we're networking with, with all of them. And uh, they see moms and they try to keep them, you know, they say, look, you can stay with us for a year or longer. So you can go back to school, finish school if you didn't. You can start a job. Being a home health aide is, is a, a quick way to get a certificate in a couple of months, and then you're employed. It's a very employable job. Or you can go on for other things. And uh, as, as Peggy was saying, uh, how the teenagers are, are pro-life. Now, the, the young children who were born, we had a mom speak uh, at, a, at a banquet earlier this year. Uh, she was in our home 20 years ago. So her daughter uh, is now in college with a scholarship. It's a rather prestigious college in the New York metropolitan area. Uh, and she's so sweet and she has a scholarship and her mother, it, it was overjoyed. And, and she was saying, you know, if it wasn't for good counsel, I wouldn't be the mother I am. Of course we are blessed. We feel blessed that we were helpful as a bridge in that uh, part of her life when she was in a crisis. And, and that's the blessing of our ministry is to see uh, women and children who are abandoned, alone, have no place to go. And, and we can see them grow, grow educationally, vocationally, spiritually. Uh, and, and now they're, they're wonderful members of society and they're working and they're raising kids and, and, and just doing so many wonderful things. You know, we say God is love and love means life creating life. What does God do? He creates life in abundance and, and he wants to see more life. And we human beings have this opportunity to bring new life, new immortal souls into the world. And, and it's such a great gift. And even when there's a tragedy, even if it's a young couple where a spouse dies, still, you know, we are a community to help and we're called to help each other. And, I think at this moment in our nation, where, uh, as I'm sure you've experienced, uh, Father Frank, I know Chris, Peggy, maybe you too. If you go out to pray the rosary peacefully and prayerfully in front of Planned Parenthood, there are people, more people coming out yelling, screaming, cursing. It, it's, it's a vile reaction. And I think it's, it's so strong now because... We recognize abortion is wrong. And in recognizing that the people who have been involved in an abortion are hurting and they have not been um, 
they have not found peace or healing. And so many of the pregnancy centers and maternity homes like Good Counsel, we have post-abortion healing programs. And Silent No More, of course, Priest for Life has a tremendous influence. And Janet, you know, starting Silent No More, you know, it, we, we, we are called on now more than ever to bring healing to our nation, to those who are broken and hurting uh, and, and don't know where to go to find peace. People who say they're atheists or, or they even those who say, I feel fine. I, I'm glad I had my abortion. But, you know, there, there's pain inside. We have to bring that mes message of healing and hope uh, to bring this nation together and, and to see our nation grow in, in a loving way. Because don't we have enough love in this country for another baby? And, and we do have enough love in this country also to forgive those. And we certainly know God forgives. But we, too, are here to forgive those who have fought against us, who have promoted and paid for and, and continued uh, abortion. Uh, and, and, of course, all of us know Bernard Nathanson. Chris was Bernard Nathanson's godfather, and Joan was Bernard Nathanson's godmother. And for those of you who may never have heard his name, he died in 2011. He was, in many ways, the father of abortion in America. And I say that because, first of all, he was a brilliant OBGYN. And, that, and he came out in the 1960s to say abortion should be legal. And then he attacked the Catholic bishops and, and because he knew that they were opposed to abortion. He said, don't let those bishops tell you women what you should do with your bodies. And what he was also saying, not so subtly, is guys, you can have free sex and have abortions and not worry about it. And he was married many times. Um, in New York State, they legalized abortion in 1968, several years before Roe v. Wade. And he was the primary mover of that. And then, of course, uh, the Supreme Court followed that bad, those bad decisions by the states. Uh, and in the 70s, God was working on him and he had a change of heart. He started to see through ultrasound, which was still very new in his, uh, in his medical technology, it struck him the baby is real. Now, he, he had to have known it before because you know how an abortion is. You have to take the child out piece by piece. But when he saw the baby moving, God worked on his heart. And then uh, I referenced before that time we were in front of Planned Parenthood. It was Joan and I, many, many others. Uh, and then we walked over to Chris's place. Well, Bernard Nathanson was there and you could see he was contemplating. He, he was part of the rescue there. He was praying. He, he called himself an atheist then, but he was very quiet. Everybody's praying the rosary around him. He looked like he was mumbling the prayers, quite frankly. And uh, I'll tell you something. I, I maybe never said this publicly before. Um, I went up to him. And, and I said, uh, Dr. Nathanson, can I ask you a question? And he said, yes, as long as it's not about my soul. <laughs> 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 and, 
And and that's exactly what I wanted to ask him. I wanted to ask him, you know, uh, are, are you praying with us? And, and, and you think God is talking to you? So I, he shut me up right then and there. But you know what? I realized even then, I don't have to say anything. God is speaking to him. I better shut up. So not too many years later, Chris was his godfather. Joan is godmother. He was baptized in St. Patrick's Cathedral when he died. He was buried from St. Patrick's Cathedral, with which, if nothing else, it shows how merciful the bishops are, because here he excoriated them for years. And it was because of him, you know, abortion came in against what the bishops wanted. And yet they 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 forgave him and he was brought into the church. So um, uh, I don't know if you want to add anything uh, to this. I just show. want to say so good seeing Chris uh, Slattery. Yeah. <laughs> um, you look great. And um, I'm reminded of something you have suffered so much i heard that the angels in heaven only envy mankind one thing the ability to suffer but god bless you raise <laughs> down your share and to tell you the truth i think the christ pregnancy center i mean we need maternity homes we do but christ pregnancy centers that's the real front line that's the front line you catch the mothers and i've always thought what you do is just the greatest. And how you do it, I don't know how. I mean, it's like you're a hundred different people all wrapped into one. <laughs> you're incredible. <laughs> we love you. And I know of all the little children you've saved and that you've loved them all. Those who were saved, those who weren't, you've loved them all. You're such an incredible example to us. Right. And, um, and so Well, I just want to remind, remind our audience that that's what this focus is. We are honoring you, the pioneers of the Pregnancy Help Movement, on Friday, January the 20th in Constitution Hall at 8.30 a.m., way before the march. You'll have plenty of time to get to the rally, but we want you to join us in Constitution Hall so we can make a big amen there to show the pro-abortion politicians that you have a whole movement standing behind the pregnancy center movement and don't you dare attack them because you're going to have to answer to us. So right now I want to hear from, of course, Chris Slattery from uh, the um, expected mother care in Manhattan. And I'm telling you, Chris, boy, you have really held strong there after countless attacks from the shameful attorney generals through the decades in New York. And of course, being a fellow New Yorker, I have to applaud you for finding very creative ways to push back against the pro-abortion movement there in Manhattan. So I'm very deeply honored, Chris, that you're going to join us to get that award. So a few words from you, Chris. We can't hear you, Chris. Oh, you can't? No, oh, now no, we can. Okay, bravo. Now we can. Okay. Maybe I was on mute. Um, I want to appeal to the viewers, um, whether you're watching this live or on a replay, take a good examination of conscience about the talents that God's given you and how you can use them to save children and help mothers. You know, we all have many talents that God's given us. And I'll tell you what, using your talents for life-saving is one of the most important but rewarding activities you can engage in in your life. 
my life was changed on a sidewalk one morning in 1981 or 82 when without any training or preparation one morning wearing a three-piece suit on my way to an advertising job with my briefcase I got called over to a plaza that I happened to be passing by by a sidewalk counselor in front of a 50-story office building and she said, Chris, do you know they're, they're killing babies upstairs? I said, what? 7.30 in the morning. People going into this place here? Upstairs? So anyway, I hung out. And here comes a black mother with her little daughter who's 15 years old. I can't remember what I said to them. I had no training. I had no brochures. I didn't know what to say, do, anything. All I know is I had the grace of God and the Holy Spirit. And six months later, I'm holding that 15-year-old mother's baby in my arms in her apartment in the Crown Heights section of Brooklyn. And I'm saying to myself, oh, my Lord, God used me to help save a baby. You can do this? You can actually save a child? I mean... <laughs> I said, well, that's what it means to be pro-life, right? I mean, if we can actually engage one-on-one -on, -one on a sidewalk in Manhattan, I mean, what could we do if we had an office? I didn't even know about pregnancy centers. I didn't even know what's a pregnancy center. So I started to, in the early 80s, I started to do my homework and I found some people in different parts of the country that had done this work, read some articles about it, started researching. This is before the internet, you know, looking at newspapers and, <laughs> and um, then I realized, wow, we could go to scale with this. I actually started appealing to people in churches, 17 different pulpit appeals we did at all the masses in 17 churches in New York City. But you know what I also discovered? There was tremendous apathy. Why was New York the abortion capital of America? Why had we already killed a million children in New York City before I even found out about the movement? Apathy, coldness, indifference, fear, all kinds of um, vices get in our way. Preoccupation with making money, preoccupation with just our family, just our immediate friends. I was in advertising. You know, we were selling products to the world. I worked with some of the great ad agencies, some of the great advertising geniuses. I was privileged to meet um, Mr. Bill Burnback the great ad genius, got to know him. And you know what? Yes. After I saved that first baby, I had planted the seed in my own heart. God had planted it. And then I realized, well, maybe I can do something. In those times I was talking to all these parishioners, you know what I was doing? I was talking to myself. 
I talked myself <clears throat> into a pro-life vocation. I wanted to be a big ad man, but just like my father. And I was in that industry for 13 years. It's a long story, but bottom line is there are so many of you with businesses, talents, skill sets, whether you're in the medical profession, you're in transportation, you're in marketing, advertising, <clears throat> you could, the pro-life movement needs every skill set out there. And we have a shortage. You know, I'm in the Bronx, which had a 50% abortion rate for most of the last 52 years. We actually legalized, I have to correct Chris, we legalized abortion on July 1st, 1970. 52 years of abortion. I'm still running the only pregnancy center in the Bronx. Why? In, in Brooklyn, I'm running the only pregnancy center with pregnancy testing and ultrasounds. This morning, we counseled nine women between these two offices in the Bronx and Brooklyn. I don't have enough help. I don't have enough people. I don't have enough board members. I don't have enough people to take over for me. I'm in the abortion capital. Eight and a half million people. There aren't enough people engaged in this fight. This goes in many major American cities. We don't have enough people serving the expectant mothers because of apathy. So you're watching this show. Maybe you'll share it. But are you going to get off your duff? Are you going to get off your laptop? Are you going to up your game? Are you going to increase your activism? Or your contributions if you're too old to get out? I'm getting to that stage. I'll be marching in the March for Life with a cane. I'm on my, I have stage four cancer in the colon and prostate. I had stage four cancer of uh, my lymph nodes in 1970. But a pregnant woman who was going through a very rough pregnancy offered her suffering and sacrifice for me. And I was saved and I was cancer free for 50 years. God had big plans for me. I didn't know it at the time. I was only 15. It wasn't until my early 20s when I came back to God that I knew I began, he began planting seeds that I had a special vocation. But all of us, you and I have a special vocation. You're watching this program because you're intrigued. Oh, baby saving. Oh, Father Frank. Oh, Janet. Oh, Peggy. Oh, Joan. Oh, Chris. Two Chris's. These people are onto something. Well, join in, huh? This is not a spectator sport. Each one of you, even from a hospital bed, with Zoom and all these tools we never even dreamed of when we started in the movement. I mean, 
how primitive were we in the early days, in the early 80s? We didn't even have VHS tapes. No. I mean, that was an advance for us. Yeah. So bottom line is, look, there's an enormous amount that you can do supporting Heartbeat, Good Council Homes, EMC, Priest for Life. But give your individual time. Please. We need you. We need you. Thank you. Amen. Well, thank you, Chris. Well, thanks and, so much, and, Chris. And like I said, the committee was delighted. It was a unanimous decision to raise up and honor the pregnancy help movement. So, brothers and sisters, you have this announcement now. We want you to make a commitment to show up on Friday, January 20th, 8.30 a.m., for the uh, at Constitution Hall in DC, the doors will open at around 7 a.m. There'll be a mass at 7:30, and then the interdenominational prayer service will start at 8:30, and you'll be gone by 10:30 in order to get plenty of time to the rally. And pay attention to what Chris said: we need you all in the battle, joining us, because like you, Chris and Peggy and Joan and Chris. Father and I have been at this a long time, too, over 30 years. And people, you know, I just turned 70, and people say to me, so, Janet, when are you retiring? I'm like all of you. When the Lord calls us home, <laughs> that's when we retire. But we need some other people to come in, alongside us and come on. Let's go. Because, you know, that there's plenty of work to be done and plenty of babies to be saved. Well, you know, and many people are making their bus plans now for the March for Life. Right. And parishes are deciding and groups are deciding. So incorporate, friends, the, the National Prayer Service into those plans uh, for Friday morning, January 20th. So I want to thank our honorees. We're going to conclude with a prayer here. And then we're going to show you, we're going to give you just a little feel of this National Prayer Service with a little clip that we have, and that'll that'll close us out and lead into our our outro. But uh, but uh, let's pray together, uh, all of you who represent uh, those that are being honored. There are several others, like you announced earlier, Janet. And uh, and let's turn, let's just lift up all these efforts to the Lord, Father. We thank and praise you today for the. Uh, the movement that you yourself have inspired in your people. Lord, this movement is not called by somebody from on high, either in the religious or the, or the secular arena, but rather arises from your spirit working in the hearts of human beings who know that we must protect our children. It's as simple as that. And people have come together across uh, kitchen tables and, and workplace uh, water coolers and, and, and on the cor street corners of America. You have moved your spirit to inspire them to, to rise up and save lives. Bless the pregnancy center movement. Uh, bless the maternity homes, the medical clinics, all those who have pioneered uh, these efforts and all those who work in these efforts today. And may we together as a movement honor, Lord, what you have done in the hearts of your people as represented by our honorees and, and the ongoing work of this life-saving mission. We ask all this in the name and through the power of the author of life and the conqueror of death, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 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 Holy Spirit, amen. So Peggy and Joan and Chris and Chris Slattery, uh, thanks for joining us today. And we look forward to seeing you very soon. 
Thank, Thank you. you. Thank, Thank you, you. Thank you very much. All right, so let's look at that clip now, okay? And Janet, and thank you for your reflections. We'll let them see the clip and close right. out the program with that. Friends, it's been a, a pleasure announcing to you today our honorees for the 2023 uh, prayer service. And uh, we hope to see you there. Make right. your commitment now. <laughs> Go to nationalprayerservice.com and register your bus. Let us know you're going to be there. God bless you all. But you know what? When you and I take up this call and we talk about abortion, if we speak about it in church, we're told we're too political. If we speak about it in the political arena, we're told we're too religious. If we speak about it in the world of the media, it's too disturbing. In the world of business, it's too distracting. In the world of education, it's too controversial. In the streets, it's too disruptive. So abortion, if abortion is wrong, where do we go to say so? We go into the churches, we go into politics, into the media, into business, into education, and into the streets. Some churches, some churches haven't wanted, got, wanted to get involved in political hassles with the government. And so they've been silent on abortion. They didn't want to get involved in hassles from the government. They didn't want to take the fight to the government. So now with the HHS mandate, the government took the fight to them. And when it comes to that mandate, we've got a simple message for this administration. We will obey God rather than men. As Alveda can tell us, her uncle said one day to the civil rights movement, we've got a lot of obstacles in our way, but we're not going to let anything turn us around. We're not going to let no dogs turn us around, no water hoses turn us around, no police clubs or jail sentences, and we're not going to let any injunctions turn us around. And so today I say to you, in the pro-life movement, no Planned Parenthood is going to turn us around. No biased media is going to turn us around. No HHS mandate is going to turn us around. No Obama administration is going to turn us around. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.